hey beer fans welcome to experimental brewing with denny and drew i'm denny khan and i'm drew beecham together we're the authors of experimental homebrewing and mad science in the pursuit of great beer and simple homebrewing available at all your finest retailers now today's episode oh wait no sorry between the two of us we have over 50 years of homebrewing experience i'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas and I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. And so on today's episode, we're stealing content from another podcast. Yeah, man, that's the way I like to do it. <laughs> Cheap and easy, just like Denny. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> but no, truthfully, what happened is uh, we sat down with our good buddy John Hall for his podcast uh, to talk about the state of homebrewing, where homebrewing's going, where homebrewing has been, and, well, I mean, nominally, that's at least the topic. And then we kind of went squirrely. Yeah. John runs the All About Beer podcast and the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Uh, two great shows that you ought to listen to in addition to ours. Uh, the Brewer to Brewer is, as you would expect, two brewers sitting down and discussing what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. But uh, we didn't go there. We talked about homebrewing with John, uh, traded some insults, all that kind of stuff. And uh, had a really, really wonderful time. So you guys get to listen to that today. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a beer, unless you're driving. And we'll be back right after these messages. This episode of the Experimental Brewing Podcast is brought to you by you, our listeners, Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you like to the podcast and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association. Part of the proceeds from those will go to help support the podcast. And thanks for your support. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. December is a good month for reflection. I don't spend a lot of time in the homebrewing space, but I'm always delighted by the passion that folks bring to it. There's a lot happening in the space right now. And as they did last year, Drew Beecham and Denny Khan are here with insights on what they're seeing, brewing, and doing with homebrewing. Khan and Beecham are the longtime homebrewers and noted personalities in the space. They're also the co-authors of Simple Homebrewing and Experimental Homebrewing, which is also the name of the podcast they co-host. There's a lot to get into. Here's our conversation. Guys, welcome back to the show. This is now the second annual State of Homebrewing in America show, last year obviously being the inaugural and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're making a tradition out of this. So thanks for taking time out of your, your busy podcast schedule and everything else that you guys are doing and articles and books and God knows what else. What else do you guys <laughs> do? Is, are speaking engagements back up or are homebrew clubs meeting again now that we're, we're past? Uh, past they are, COVID? but yeah. 
Yeah, they are. But uh, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think we get that many speaking engagements to the homebrew clubs right now. Oh, uh, no, no. I th- uh, I'm going to be talking to a club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in about a month, but that's about the first one. Uh, I'm not getting invitations yeah. to travel around the world to speak like I used to, and I'm not, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is, is it because you guys have spoken to every homebrew club? <laughs> there, are some, could, there are some days when it feels like that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it could very well be. I mean, it could be, too, that because we're not releasing books, we're not as much in the forefront of everybody's mind as before, you know, so when they're going, who do we want to have speak to our homebrew club? It ain't us. Well, well rest easy, also, fellas. Being on this podcast this 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 time this year, it's going to rocket you back up to that number all one All right, spot. man. I've, I've been waiting for my second round of fame. Sorry, Drew, I interrupted you. You were going to say something funny. Uh, No, he wasn't. No, it was in the moment. (laughs) We're gone. (laughs) We're past that moment. (laughs) I'm trying to think his first uh, claim to fame was maybe it was the Boy Scout photo from the 50s or whenever that was. Uh, That was the 60s, but yeah, wasn't that cute? Yes, you're a Gerber baby. The... Uh, and soon enough, you'll be on one of those uh, those Smucker commercials on the Today Show. That's which is, which is pretty great. Yeah. It's just it's full circle. Oh God! Um, I hope I make it that long. The even if you're not out and talking with clubs, I, I I know that you're both still very immersed in what's happening in homebrewing and are still wonderful ambassadors for uh, for the hobby for for the for the uh, you know, that, that part of the overall industry. So the question is the same this year as it was last year. What's the state of homebrewing in America right now? Flames. Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> flames yeah. on the side of your face? <laughs> it's a clue, man. Get a clue. <laughs> um, I would say that the state of homebrewing maybe has stabilized a bit and uh, the numbers of people homebrewing are not declining as quickly as they were a year or two ago. But on the other hand, it's still way down from before the pandemic. Uh, and part of that has to do with, you know, homebrewing and itself and people's lives and schedules and part of it has to do with the fact that beer isn't the the hot cool new topic for everybody anymore and combined with the fact that you now have a brewery on every corner at least for the moment so yeah yeah, um i think we talked a little bit about this last year but it's still it's it's still pretty acute yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and and for me, the access to commercial beer really has nothing to do with why I homebrew, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I homebrew to homebrew not to get the beer out of it, right? Uh, but that's me, and, and uh, you know, I don't represent the entire homebrewing demographic. Uh, so I think that, you know, probably the... Avail- easy availability of really good craft beer does affect some people. I mean, I know I've heard it said. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe the fact that people are working so much just trying to keep their heads above water might have something to do with it. Traditionally, when the uh, economy is weaker, people homebrew more to save money and for an activity they can do at home instead of going out. And I don't know if that's happening as much these days uh, because, you know, people are too busy maybe to homebrew. And also, like I said, you know, beer is not the the hot topic that it was a while back. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Drew. Well, and I'm wondering, you know, because to Denny's point, oh, you know, the economy goes down in the toilet, homebrewing goes up. That's been a... A truism for as long as I've been around uh, making beer at home. And I wonder if some of the reason why we're not necessarily perceiving that, where we still see things like homebrew shops are closing. Uh, I just lost one a couple months back. Um, I'm wondering if some of that isn't just because of those incredible heights we were at just not even five years ago. And so, yeah, it it dipped down. And whether or not we're going to come back up, I don't think we're there yet. 
Yeah, there was uh, there was that meteoric rise in homebrewing for so long that uh, you know, I mean, like in, in craft beer in general, it's hard to sustain that kind of growth, and eventually you're going to level off uh, to where just the real dedicated people are involved, and you're going to see the people who are doing it kind of like as a as a curiosity, uh, you're going to see them going, okay, been there, done that, let's move on to something else now. I'm going to go make candles. Well, I also wonder, So, since we've all been around beer for a good long while, yeah. and Denny, you remember, like the AJ Homebrew Con, I mean, that used to be, that was hot poop if we got 600 people to think. Right. And these past couple of years, of course, it's been down one because of the pandemic and then things afterwards. But those numbers are still so much higher than they were back when we were first getting involved. And so we have this perception of declining market in a way. But that declining market is still at a much higher base level than it was when, when we started. And so I wonder if some of this perception that we, we have may just be, um, how do I want to put this? It, it, it may just be biased by the heights that we've seen and not looking at the historical picture. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I mean, you know, apparently when everybody is planning for those heights and planning for it to keep uh, going exponentially and stuff, even just a, a leveling off then becomes a decline. Well, yeah, because it, you no longer meet your expectations. And when your expectations are no longer being met, then anything do- it doesn't look like success. All right. it's, again, the reason why I'm saying, like, sometimes I think we focus a little too much on the local min-max and not the overall picture. And, of course, it is hard to plan for the overall picture, not the local min-max. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, one indication is that the AHA struggling with, with membership issues. Uh, you know, people are just not joining the AHA in the numbers that they were before. Uh, oh. and you know, to me, I guess I, I use that as an indicator. Well, I, uh, I also think there's something going on there where, frankly, the people who are getting into homebrewing or the people who are the age to get into homebrewing, don't seem to do the joining thing. Yeah, that, what, is, that what, is, sure. what is the age to get into homebrewing? You mean like legal drinking age? No, it seems like I mean a lot of times if you go and you look at those homebrew demographic things, uh, surveys that people have done, uh, the optimum age range, like where the real bump is, is somewhere between about twenty five to thirty eight or okay. twenty five to forty, um, and that's of course going through a generational shift, right? It's, it's now out of Gen X and it's into the millennials and Gen Z are kind of starting yeah. to come into that area. Um, and there is, at least when you look at sociological stuff where they try and break it down, there's some notion that, Oh, you know, the, the younger generations don't join things in the same way, you know, kind of like how our parents all joined the Elks, right? right? You know, where yeah. they're members of the Rotary and Gen X pretty much all looked at that and went, <laughs> no, yeah, we sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so there's some of that same, there seems to be, I should say, some of that same reflection on the idea of joining a club about something like this, taking the time away from home, because to Denny's point, everybody's, everybody's kind of got a lot of time pressure on them. So taking time away to go to a meeting for something that's social is a little out there in some ways. Can't we just do this online? Uh, and frankly, online is very attractive, you know, to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my club, I think that my club specifically, I mean, you know, um, has not really experienced any decline in numbers or enthusiasm. Uh, I just went to my first club meeting in years uh, about a week or two ago, uh, and I was really blown away by the number of people who showed up for that meeting and what they're doing uh, with their brewing and stuff like that. Uh, for the the second year in a row, our club had the Oregon State Homebrewer of the Year, same guy as last year, even. Yeah. So I, I I think that there are like pockets and, and isolated instances where homebrewing is really going strong, but if yeah. you look at the the overall demographic, uh, that is not the case. Yeah, and to bring in my experience with the Falcons, you know, we cratered hard during COVID because yeah. things 
And we went from having, say, 70 people per meeting in 2015, 2016 to, you know, I think now our meetings are averaging about 30. You know, so it's about down by half. Uh, but, you know, it's come back up from where it was at COVID. And my real hope is that since the club is going into its 50th anniversary year this year, yeah, uh, that we'll, we'll see some growth there. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, and then you get back to the question that was always in the forefront, like when I was on the AHA governing committee, how do you get people interested in homebrewing? How well, that, do you and that's what I wanted to, it to them. And that's yeah. what I wanted to, to, to kind of talk to you guys about. And we'll be right back. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The ultimate all-in-one electric home brewing system is here. The new Grainfather G40 can produce up to 11 gallons of beer and features all the latest advancements in home brewing technology, including wireless control so you can monitor your brew day from the Grainfather app. With an innovative new grain basket design that improves workflow, reaching mash efficiencies of 75% or more is easy. The 3300-watt heating element brings your wort to a boil quickly without any scorching, and the large hop plate filter guarantees that no unwanted grain matter or hop tube reaches your fermenter. Every G40 comes standard with a high-powered built-in pump that can handle temperatures over 200 degrees Fahrenheit and a full three-year warranty that guarantees that you will be able to keep on brewing no matter what. The new Grainfather G40 is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer or online at grainfather.com. The thing that I've always admired about the two of you, um, and there are other folks in home brewing, is there was that period, I think, in the early 2000s, um, where, you know, 2004, 2005, where there were a lot of people who got into home brewing with the idea, I'm going to go pro. Right. I'm I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to work at a brewery, and then I'm going to open my own brewery, and I'm going to go from there. And we saw that manifest in what 10, 11, 12, maybe into you know 13, uh, and then from there it seemed that the GoPro group started to level off and then kind of drop off. And I think that that was probably a result of all of the breweries that opened and people who might have gotten into home brewing to go pro could now just go intern at one of these new breweries that opened up. Or maybe they were watching the people who had done that starting to fail. Maybe, but that wasn't really <laughs> happening in the mid-teens. I, I, I think that we were see, starting to see signs of it because we were seeing uh, beer quality, a lot of places declining. Uh, sure. we, were see, we were seeing gimmick beer instead, you know, that, that people were like, oh, okay, I, I can sell this stuff. So, but yeah, I, I think that you're right. The big decline did happen later. So that goes back to what's the appeal and how do you get new folks in now? Yeah, I know. A- uh, <laughs> go ahead, Drew. 
Well, I was going to say, the real trick is that, I mean, if you stop and you think about it, uh, homebrewing is a, a fiddly little hobby in some ways. Yeah. And it's been very populated by nerds for a long period of time who love to obsess over things and debate about it and tell you that you're doing it the wrong way um, if you're not doing it their way. Um, and the biggest problem about it is just, I, you know, doing this as a hobby to take the time is actually well worthwhile because of what you learn from it. Even if you're, even if your beer isn't the world's best, you still learn a lot by doing it. Um, and I, I, I just struggle to wonder because of course that's my mindset is if that isn't, if that isn't the sort of thing you can teach, right. Or grab people with. And therefore am I not, am I the wrong person to try and figure out how to promote this? <laughs> I know that uh, at least a few years ago when the maker culture was like the big buzz phrase, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, that the AHA was really trying to tie into that. And, that personally, that is one of the reasons that I homebrew because I enjoy making things for myself, seeing how they're made, trying to perfect my process uh, of making them, and then sharing what I've made with other people. Uh, to me, to me, it, it's about the process, and the beer comes down at the end of the line of reasons. So, you know. That might be something to to think about in terms of trying to present homebrewing to other people. Uh, if they're the kind of people who enjoy doing things, then point out to them the, the satisfaction that you can get from, from doing this, you know? Uh, when you hand somebody a, a beer and they take a sip and this big smile spreads across their face, and, and you know you made that happen, there, there is a tremendous sense of personal satisfaction in that yeah uh, yeah go i ahead, mean Jim. you know it's funny because we just had this question pop up on the podcast uh, from a uh, a fellow who's actually over in denmark who is a homebrew and he was, he was like oh yeah uh, a bunch of my friends and uh, co-workers are wanting to learn how to make beer how do i do it without making it seem too nerdy yeah that's the <laughs> i think that's the challenge good luck yeah well, um, again, you can you can see it on Facebook. Somebody says, "Okay, I, I want to get into homebrewing. What do I need?" And people like we, you know, five thousand dollars worth all in one systems and you know conical jacketed fermenters and all this kind of stuff. And it's like you've already lost these people, right? Yeah. You want to talk to them about the beer and the experience because the equipment is really secondary get them involved in the hobby, and then let them come to their own way of doing it, whether it's to buy fancy equipment or to keep brewing extract in a pot in the kitchen. You know, everybody has their own way of getting satisfaction from homebrewing. Yeah, it's kind of like if uh, somebody wanted to learn, somebody came up to you and said, John, I want to learn, learn how to make stew, right? And the very first thing he said, well, okay, great. We're going to make cassoulet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Instead of like teaching them how to do something simple, a lot of people just jump straight to the castle step, which is like, ah. Well, I mean, um, if if you want to do it right, come on. Um, <laughs> well, well, but I mean, it's, I mean, before we started rolling here, we were talking about uh, uh, we just did an episode about growing mushrooms, and right. one of the things in that was I kept I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while, but I kind of kept throwing myself off because I kept reading all this stuff about like uh, how to inoculate a and this, that, and the other, and it was all very intimidating. And talking with uh, Jesse on the program, she's like, "Oh no, don't do that. Start Jesse with this. Yeah, so, yeah. Start uh, start with a start with a little box kit that you put on your kitchen countertop and you spray with water. You'll love it. Right. So yeah. it's a Mister Beer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly that. It's the non-intimidating way to go about it. And the problem with any hobbyist uh, type of thing is hobbyists, as a rule, are obsessive nuts, uh, and it's really hard to get back to that mindset of not overthinking it. Yeah, and, and, and to realize how you thought about it before you became obsessive about it. Uh, you know, I, I, I see this in so many aspects uh, of the beer business, uh, people overthinking things that uh, are really just straightforward and easy. Danny, you said something earlier that um, has been rattling around in my, in my, in my mind now on 
getting people interested, getting people involved and having a home brewer hand you a beer uh, and starting that conversation. Right? right. And in my mind, I pictured a home brewer handing me a 12 ounce brown bottle. And that was so jarring in my mind because nobody hands me 12 ounce brown bottles anymore. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering if the push towards cans in the last decade and a half or decade or so, um, and, and seeing craft in cans and the artwork and the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it has, could that be playing a role in, how people, the new generation sees homebrewing? It, it's, it's hard for me to speak to the new generation because I'm so far removed from it. <laughs> but I really don't believe so, John. Okay. Uh, a, a few years ago, what, maybe like 10 years ago, home canning was the big thing. Drew got a canning machine. Everybody had canning machines. You hardly even see that mentioned anymore. Uh, I think that the people that have them still use them. But again, especially during the pandemic, uh, cans became hard to get your hands on. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, bottles, you can go out and buy a six pack of beer and reuse the, the bottles. You, you can't do that with cans. So I don't, you know, and not only that, but I would say that probably most homebrewers who have been at it for six months or more have gotten into kegging also uh you know so the the brown bottle you don't see as much as as you used to anyway so i, I guess your contention was that that by handing somebody a brown bottle you're handing them something that they may not be familiar with and relate to was that the, the not point necessarily you not familiar with it i, I think everybody is familiar with with 12 ounce bottles, but it's just rarely seen yeah. well, in the craft it, space these days. It smacks a little bit of a uh, uh, old fuddy does in them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I would actually argue that the thing that does, uh, that I think does the, the beer industry and, and brewing home brewing in general uh, worse off than the switch over to cans. Cause by the way, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of cans nowadays in competitions. Right. So I think, there's okay. a very serious contingent of dudes, uh, dude, dudes and dudettes out there who are uh, putting their beers into cans. Cool. But what I will say, I think what's more harmful than cans versus bottles versus kegs, uh, and I say this as somebody who switched to kegs about six batches in because bottling sucks, mm-hmm. um, is sort of the monoculture in a lot of ways. And you, you'll hear, obviously, a lot of old beer people like all three of us go, can I get something other than an IPA maybe? Yeah. Right. And so I think not me. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, that's not true. Hayes you want a brown days. ale sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you want <laughs> those milkshake IPAs. We know it, Danny. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> now, but what I do think is sort of a problem is that because I think there's a perception for craft beer and then the homebrew as well with a lot of younger folks that it's all this IPA stuff, right? And I hear a lot of people who are sort of beer adjacent but not deeply into beer being like I can't stand IPAs. They're too bitter. Right. And, uh, and that becomes kind of part of the perception, which leads out of a, it leaves out a whole bunch of people like me who got involved in beer making from a culinary aspect. Uh, you know, if you start to think that all, all beer is just either going to be pale, fizzy yellow, or it's going to be pale, fizzy yellow and with a ton of hops in it and no crystal ball allowed. Um, there doesn't seem to be as much fun to have culinarily. You know, though, I'm not, I am not seeing the, uh, the big IPA hate that was around like, you know, maybe a year or two ago. Um, and, and it's very interesting. I, I don't see that IPAs are, are much less prevalent, but people don't seem to be complaining as much about the prevalence of them anymore. Oh, I can see your threads. Well, <laughs> I know I, I said as, as much, not, not at all, you know, um, and well, some I, of that may be because it's railing at the ocean. Well, yeah. it, it, it could be, or maybe the people's tastes are, are coming around to IPAs, or or maybe the market is slightly shifting away from that. I mean, you know, one thing we've talked about, Drew, is the fact that uh, Block 15, one of my favorite breweries in the world uh, around here, 
Um, and it, they are really known for their hoppy beers, stuff like Sticky Hands, which is one of the best double IPAs you'll ever have the pleasure of putting into your mouth. But they just won GABF Gold for an alt beer, you know? So they are like really kind of like diversifying away from IPAs. And I'm seeing that in, in other places also. Uh, well, we again, know where it's all going. At least around here. Where is it all going, Drew? Come on, John, you know, too. It's all going to rock beer. Everybody's going to be drinking the smoke. I was, I, I wish I had had a timer to see how long it was going to bring one, how long it was going to take one of you to bring, <laughs> to bring up the style. Yeah, tens of people can't be wrong about Rauk beer. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> oh, see, Denny, you it's got so smoke. much. It's got so much lactose in it, Denny. It's all for you. You'd, you'd love it. It's, uh, it's, it's great. Um, I, I, I think that that's indicative of the fact that. I have come around to firmly being interested pretty much only in home brewing, and I just don't really pay much attention to the commercial beer world anymore. Well, the commercial uh, beer world, as, as Drew will tell you, is just completely enamored with Rauk beer right now. Oh, it's absolutely. Just, it's, yeah. Oh, all, smoke, Rauk, all the days. Rauk beer. I, I, my, my ears didn't pick that up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, I've seen a lot of people into Rauk beer these days, and I ain't one of them. Yeah. Although, you know, it is funny. I did just, I, I was just this past Saturday at a brewery where they told me their best-selling beer was their 9.5% Belgian triple. And it wasn't Whoa. even close. And they're, and they're not a Belgian, Belgian-oriented brewery, right? You know, it's not like we're talking like an Allagashi type thing here. Yeah. I, I love so, to see that. So that's an, my... that's a really interesting thing, right? Because the triples I've seen on the rise in the last two, three years. And I think the best example, and I know you guys are out on the West Coast, so I don't know how much you're getting it. Uh, but victory these days, uh, oh, with their, with their victory. monkey, with their monkey beers, yeah. um, are it's triple based and they're uh-huh. doing, you know, fruit flavored ones and, you know, sour ones and imperial ones and things like that. And it's not just resonating with the, the beer nerds and, you know, the, the, the folks who have been around for a long time, like the three of us, it is, it's, it's hitting the younger drinkers. It's hitting the traditional macro drinkers as well, uh, that I think are looking for that high ABV, that high punch, uh, that comes with some of it. And, you know, we've obviously also seen like the rise of 192 cans in the, in the right. market, uh, in this past year, um, and, you know, the last two years, I guess. And brewers are putting, you know, 8% plus into those mm-hmm. packages where you have one and maybe you're done for the night, but it's packing, it's packing that punch. There's something to be said for, you know, those not, I mean, triple's not really obscure, but in the American beer industry, it certainly is, but there is. Yeah. There, there's reason to believe that there's growth for that. I mean, Allagash Triple is is just a world class beer. It's great to drink. But there's breweries in Florida. I'm trying to remember in Tampa, Copper Tail. Mm-hmm. Um, their their best selling beer is a triple, or at least it was when I spoke to them, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, I Cigar City was going to put one out. There, that style actually has a little bit of juice behind it right now. Good, you know, golden I, I, gets you right in the giblies. <laughs> That's good to hear because before Christmas, I was in my favorite gourmet grocery store around here that used to have just a huge selection of Belgian beers. And I kept looking through the cooler, couldn't find anything. Finally asked the buyer and he said, yeah, people just don't really want those. They had delirium tremens in cans and one Ooh. bottle of Rochefort 10, or Rochefort 10. And it's like that was all they had. And they used to have this huge selection of Belgian beers. And the the Beerstein, our good beer store here that is just has thousands of selections, their Belgian beer selection has gone down to maybe like eight or ten beers. And I even asked about special ordering some, and they couldn't do that for me. So Well, I think some of that's also the knockdown effect of uh, losing Shelton. Uh, yeah, I was going to say yes. that. Oh, of course. Yeah, of yeah course. that weighs into it as well. Yeah. But does that does that complicate in your guys' mind because we're not getting as many of the imports that maybe we used to, um, or with so much American choice, some of that stuff gets out of code or is just not ordered anymore. I I seem to remember 
home brewers that I came up with, and I'm not a home brewer, but you know, folks that I hung out with that that were doing it, that were seeking out those imported examples to say, okay, this is what the best example tastes like, and I'm going to yeah. try to do so. It, it, is that hurting home brewing on some level? I think, uh, but uh, then again, remember my job for the club is uh, I'm the beer education officer, aka the grand hydrometer. And yeah, it it's become really hard to be able to teach about a lot of classic styles because we don't see a lot of the classic examples anymore, right. or or they're harder to find. So because right. yeah, all three of us when we were coming up in the beer world, you know, it was like okay, well, if you want to really know about beer, you got to go have a Chimay, you got to have this, got to have that, you know, you got to make sure you get all these different beers, try these, and then you understand more about the world of beer. And now, like, it feels like half of those beers aren't available anymore. Yeah, at least half. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it does feel like a real education problem to me, um, which, again, plays into the world of homebrewing. Uh, and then eventually that will have a knockdown effect into the professional world. I, I just I my hope is, is that we will we will start to see a return of some of these flavors like you talking about triple me on the rise. Yeah, I hope so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen we've we've seen a resurgence of classical West Coast IPA. Yeah, you know, not that IP, the West Coast IPA ever really went away, but yeah, you know, it kind of got uh, its teeth kicked in for a while, and it was much harder to find a classical IPA. And now we're starting to see more of those, and it's not just during celebration season, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so John, uh, I was yes, gonna, I was gonna I was gonna kind of like diverge a bit here. You wouldn't okay. believe I would do that. Drew, especially. You uh you mentioned Victory a little while ago. Yeah. Uh they have been one of my favorite breweries since I first discovered them like ninety eight, two thousand, something like that. So um here's my here's my victory story, man. Okay. Uh, when I when I started home brewing and started getting into beer about ninety eight, I hopped on a there wasn't much place to discuss it or read about it on the internet. So I hopped on a Usenet uh, news group called Rec Crafts Brewing. One of the members was Lou Bryson. Uh, Lou, the great Lou Bryson. The great Lou Bryson. We share a birthday, except that mine happened years before his. Um, Valentine's Day. You guys are Valentine's right. Day babies. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of us. I know, I know Lou Bryson's birthday. We cel- we celebrated in this house. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> well, you can add me in there and Terry Ferendorf also. Well, Terry, for sure, will definitely add her to the mix. <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. Okay, back, well, back, back, and, back to my victory story. And, and Lou, at least, probably looks the best of all of you in a seersucker suit. 100%. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay, so so now you deserve this diversion I'm about to take. <laughs> so, so Lou was extolling the virtues of Belgian beers and uh, and victory. Uh, I managed to find a few victory brews out here, and I had a brother who was uh, living just outside of Philadelphia at the time. And for Christmas one year, he sent me like uh, Old Horizontal and whatever the name of their Imperial Stout is and a bunch of Golden Monkey and other stuff. And I was just absolutely in heaven. So around 2000, made a trip uh, out to Pennsylvania to visit my brother. Um, spent one night at Monk's Cafe, and it's like, you know, again, I've just been into good beer for a couple of years, so it blew yeah. my mind. Decided the next day, my wife and I decided we would drive out to Downingtown and go hit Victory, and it turns out that we went on a day that they weren't open. Oh. Um, you know, so you, we pull up, and I see some guys out on the loading dock, and I go, you know, I'm I'm like just a home brewer from Oregon, but I'm out here and I love your beer. Any chance I could look around? And I said, sure. And they went and got Bill Kovaleski to show me around. Uh, and I was, I was totally blown away. Here I was, this little guy from Iowa and barely into beer for two years. And, and Bill was showing me around the brewery. And after we got done, we sat down at the bar and he offered to start pouring us samples. You know, and we've had, you know, all these victory beers before, Prima Pills, Hop Devil, the Golden Monkey, a bunch of stuff. And so I asked for a, a, a Golden Monkey, and my wife said, oh, I really like hoppy beers. Cause, I mean, my, if, if a beer doesn't have 70 IBUs, my wife isn't interested in it. Uh, so Bill said, oh, here, let me get you one of our Hop Devils. And Paula, having had it before, said... Do you have anything hoppier? And I thought Bill was going to cry. 
uh, you know, <laughs> his face just totally fell. Uh, and she ended up having a prima pills, which was definitely bitter enough for her. But uh, I, I always thought that it was it was great that my wife dissed Victory Beers and Bill right there to his face. <laughs> right, right to Kovaleski's face, too. Yeah. They they came out with a double IPA, if I'm remembering correctly, Dirt Wolf. Um, a couple of years later, Bryson will remember. I think I was there drinking it with him. I, I had a couple of fun sessions with, with yeah, Lou I'll at bet. that, uh, at that Downingtown, yeah. uh, at that Downingtown bar. It's, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's a fun, I like that story because it, it, I don't hear, you don't hear too much of that these days as beers become more commonplace and you know there's the 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 worry of folks getting in and uh or you know if places aren't open you know they're just they're just not open kind of thing so um well they've become much more they've become much more bars and restaurants now i mean it's also true that uh, it's the hospitality industry at full full throat you know and it's a side effect of the growth of everything yeah yeah well you know what and and to me one thing that that story shows is kind of the camaraderie between beer geeks and brewers and stuff you know it's like bill didn't know me from adam it was a day off i mean it was a day they were closed he was probably busy as hell doing important stuff that really had to get done yet he was willing to take half an hour out of his day to show me around you know and i just i've always been impressed by that that's really cool we'll be back in a couple minutes right after this When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super-fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art. They're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. With Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. It's supporting family farms. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier whose mission is to connect hop growers and brewers. Yakima Chief Hops is proud to have an established return-to-grower program which redistributes an average of 75% of their business earnings back to the family farms who grow the hops in your beer. Where you buy your ingredients matters, and with Yakima Chief Hops, it's more than a pack of hops. Learn more at yakimachief.com slash return dash growers. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Give or receive an American Homebrewers Association membership by December 31st and select a free brewing book of your choice. This holiday season, purchase one-year membership and choose from 60 different beer and brewing books to meet your goals. Why I suggest simple homebrewing? Visit homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for details. Hurry, this offer expires December 31st. Yeast's fourth quarter legacy curation features two legendary strains for autumn brewing, 1968 London ESB Ale and 1728 Scottish Ale. These yeast strains were isolated 30 years ago for our culture collection and continue to be brewmaster's top choices for traditional malty European ales today. Both are regarded for their high flocculation and suitability for strong and seasonal specialty styles like double IPA smoked and barrel-aged beers, British bitters, barley wine, and more. Completing this curation are two limited-release lager favorites, 2000 Boudvar Lager and 2001 Pilsner Urkel H-Strain. Available now through the end of December, Boudvar Lager delivers rich maltiness and subtle fruit notes while allowing hop character to come through in Czech lagers and German Helles styles. The Pilsner Urkel Strain produces mild floral aromas and a clean, dry palate and full mouthfeel for Czech lagers and Bohemian-style pilsners. Catch up on our latest blog posts and learn more about this release at yeastlab.com.
as you guys start to think about, you know, ways of connecting the gap and with all of the, you know, the, 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 the pro-ness, uh, or, the, you know, the pro part of the industry that's out there, um, these days. I know earlier this year it was announced that the annual homebrewers conference is going to be combined with the annual Great American Beer Festival. Um, maybe not combined, but held around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on that? I'm very trepidatious. <sighs> Raven? <laughs> no, Raven. I mean, trepidatious. Okay. Well, it's. I don't think it's any secret that the AHA is in some dire financial straits, uh, and, and Brewers Association too, for that matter. Um, I, I hope to see them figure out a way to pull through that. I think that maybe in, including it along with GABF, they're hoping is a way to draw more people because they'll be able to attend both events. Uh, maybe to cut down expenses because it'll be right there in Denver where they already have the, the staff in place, uh, to deal with it. Um, I'm not, it, it doesn't particularly excite me. Uh, I, I have not, I, I'm not a big fan of GABF. It, for me, it's just too much, you know? Um, so the fact that I can do both GABF and and HomebrewCon together doesn't really do anything for me. And I know that there are other people who feel the same way that I do, and I know that there are people who are tremendously excited about the possibility. Yeah. So I'm if 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 they happen simultaneously, I can see some real staffing issues uh for the AHA trying to run two major competitions at the same time. So a lot will come down to exactly what their plan is, and I have no inside info or clue about that. Uh, I I would hope, my, my hope is that it will happen, it will be done well, and it will be successful, and it will be a big boost for the AHA. Uh, my, um, my thought on it is my, my only real worry is that the homebrewers will get lost in the shuffle. Right. Yeah. Because GMBF is a big, noisy it's, thing. It's massive. That was my original thought was, right. how, how does, you know, how does homebrewing sort of stand out yep. when it is that huge operation? Yeah. Well, and ironically, though, not on the negative side, but what I did think was interesting was the idea that doing this sort of returns both events to its roots, but just kind of flipped on its head. A little bit. Because uh, <laughs> for the people out there in the audience who don't know, GBF effectively started as what is the Pro Brewers Night at HomebrewCon. Right. It started as it started as the professional brewers pouring beer for homebrewers and then grew from there. Now it's the now it's the tail that's wagging the dog in this case. Right. So that like I said, I'm trepidatious about the homebrewers not getting lost. And I think that's going to be the big challenge along with you know, only so much liver capacity and only, only so much judging capacity and only so much time that people can speak. Um, and, and only so many homebrew or only so many hotel rooms, too, man. Yep. So, you know, true. Uh, that if, if they run both of these events at the same time, they have some really big logistical challenges. I can't believe that nobody at the uh, AHA or BA considered that. So I have to think that maybe they've considered how they're going to deal with those logistical challenges. And all I can say is I'm glad I don't have to do it. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that if anybody can do it, the BA can do it because they have a lot of event planning experience. But it will be a challenge. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yep. They'll need a good plan. And so I hope that somebody's making that right now. Well, it's uh, coming up in October of 2024. More in a moment, but first, this message. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting. 
on day one. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drinkbeer. And now back to my conversation with Drew Beecham and Denny Kahn. Guys, uh, can we go to the mailbox? Can we, can sure. we do a, uh, a, sure. a, 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 we got, we got a letter, which is not something that this particular show often gets. We don't, we don't <laughs> get people who often write in. Uh, but I received hey, and mail from some flounder. Right. <laughs> I, I received a note, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago as I was starting to think about putting together this second annual conversation with you guys. Uh, and it, it, it was sort of the impetus to get the email rolling to, to, to get us all together. But, um, from the drink beer, think beer mailbag, this is, uh, it came through to info at allaboutbeer.com. Uh, hello. I wonder if you might be able to help me with an unusual question. If someone wanted to make beer in their home in 1912, what sort of equipment would they have used? I'd be very grateful for any help you could please give me. Uh, best wishes, Deborah. Oh, that's easy. That didn't change yeah. a lot. <laughs> no, I mean, oh. so you need a glycol jacketed conical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Micro controlled yeah. with uh, micro controlled fermentation. Yeah. The fi- yeah. yeah. Yeah, nineteen twelve. Yeah, yeah, right. No, back then, pretty much everybody who was making beer at home was using malt extract. So, pretty much in terms of equipment, what you would need is a kettle, a spoon, and most people were fermenting like in big ceramic pickle crocks and stuff like that back then. So, I'm possibly a carboy, but that might have come just a bit later. Uh, so basically the equipment back then would have been exceedingly simple and stuff that they already had around. Uh, nobody was going out and putting together homebrew systems. Yeah. And I can speak from this, from experience with both what my grandfather did. Now, admittedly, at a later date, he was uh, much more in the 1940s, 1950s when he was doing this. Uh, and also what you read from H.L. Mencken, because H.L. Mencken was actually a big homebrewer and he was yeah. more contemporaneous with this question. Uh, and yeah, Denny's absolutely right. It, basically started with malt extract, which you could buy in a grocery store, not just for making beer, but for making bread and all that sort of fun stuff. Right. Um, and you could buy hopped extract or you could buy hops, but the hops were terrible quality. And but, but if you, nobody knew they were ter- terrible quality because they no. had nothing to compare them to. Yeah. But then you go and you read uh, Mencken and Mencken and all of his correspondence with his various friends. And I think he also wrote an article for the Baltimore Sun back in the day uh, about how to make beer. His big complaint was the quality of yeast, because uh, at the time, people would basically just use bread yeast. They would use uh, fresh baker's yeast to right. go make their beer, which, I mean, we still see today in some of the farmhouse traditions, like up in uh, Scandinavia and whatnot. Um, but that's what they would have done. The crock, to Denny's point, it would have been a pickle crock, and you can hear mine here. I still have no, one. Okay. I'm we'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's... I, I, I still have I still have a pickle crock, although I use. You could have touched crock. anything in your home office right now and called <laughs> right. it a pickle crock, and we would have been uh, like, "Oh, sure, of course." Uh, well, great acoustics, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But the they would have used pickle crock, but and where we're like all obsessive about using airlocks and all this other sort of stuff, they would have done like what my grandfather did, which was double up some cheesecloth, throw it over the top, and rubber band it around. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you have to remember. Unlike the modern homebrewer, where this sort of one, not only the obsession with trying to make different styles of beer, there wasn't quite the uh, obsession with making the most perfect beer that you could at home. Right. (laughs) The idea was alcohol, but I mean, an alcohol delivery device. Yeah. Yeah. You you go, you go back in history and that's traditionally what was happening. You know, as long as it was drinkable and didn't make you sick and had alcohol, then that was close enough. Yeah. And just to keep in mind, I mean, obviously they didn't always have malt extract, uh, you know, but by 1912, they would have in the 1800s, you would have seen people actually starting with grain uh, and you see, you see that in recipes as well. But yeah, by the time there you're was, in 1912, 1912 period, you've got the same thing happening there that you're going to see all the way up until the rise of modern homebrewing, uh, which is extract, sugar, hops, 
and water in a kettle with fresh yeast. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, malt extract actually has been around since the late 1700s. Right. Uh, and, no, no, but, but if you go and you look at the, the recipes from the 18th and 19th century, I mean, they're largely using grain. Uh, and and that, may, that may be because uh, they couldn't, they didn't have extract, or they didn't have access to the malt extract. I mean, you know, you look at the some of the traditional recipes from George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. Sure, those had grains because that's what they had available to them. Uh, and molasses stores, and syrup and <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Uh, there was no place you could go out and get malt extract in the United States at that point. Uh, that came later, but that. I think in other parts of the world, um, extract may have been being used at that time. Yeah, but if you go and you look at uh, old recipes from that period of time, uh, you'll see that, I mean, it falls very much in line with what the Aussies would call a kitten kilo type of situation. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, So at the time, very simple, not all that dissimilar to what uh, people would have done all the way up until, say, about 1990-something, when people people really started to get... uh, their knickers in a twist about, oh, it's got to be from grain because we've got to be like the professionals. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, from from that period of time, it would have been very similar to what uh, even I would have done when I first started homebrewing. Right. Uh, so yeah, malt extract, hops, water. They would have used uh, pickle crust. Yeah. Yeah. And a pickle crock and some cheesecloth. Call it a day. Right. Yeah. And then uh, pro- uh, probably flip top bottles or the old cork crown caps. Yeah, or, I mean, you know, I've I've seen people uh, like from the 30s and stuff, like actually using like this like hammer kind of device to to cap bottles. I have one of those. It's terrifying. Really? I bet so, man. <laughs> I would want to like be behind a safety shield yeah. or something can, like that. Can using... can, you, can you give us the sound of what 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 that sounds like in your office right <laughs> yeah. now, Drew? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, actually, unfortunately, it's in the cabinet over there. So oh. I can't get it right now. He could he could make any sound and say that's it and we would yeah just a loud banging sound. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did I did use that thing once and that was enough. Yeah, I bet, man. I, I I don't think you could get me to do that. And I do crazy stuff all the time. Fellas, yeah. as we as we thanks for for answering that and thanks for writing in, Deborah. Uh, you too can send in a letter to the All About Beer mailbag it's just info at allaboutbeer.com um or they should actually probably send you guys homebrewing related questions or they can send them to you and you can forward them on that's i'm just gonna i'm gonna be your uh uh your correspondent secretary now which i'm <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, I'm i'm happy to do um, john Hall post office yeah as long as it comes with vision and dental i'm 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 in <laughs> um so i can't I, see and i can't hear and i can't taste <laughs> Exactly. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, we've talked about IPAs, we've talked about triples, we've talked about Rauk beer. Uh, Alt made an appearance uh, briefly in the in the conversation. Is there a style in 2024, um, or is there a beer in 2024 that is largely uncommon for each of you that you're hoping to make sometime in the new year? Oh, make uh, make here at home? Yeah, well, we're talking uh, about uh, probably yeah. not, you know. And I've I've got to tell you that I did. I <laughs> all right, did then let's let Drew answer. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, tell us what. Yeah, um, I was gonna say I I did all my experimenting with beer and styles and things that I wanted to make, and probably like the first ten years I was brewing, and ever since then. I have settled into what my tastes are and what I enjoy making and, and pretty much do the same thing. Sure. But I is can, there, is, is there something that you enjoy that you haven't made for a while that maybe you want to make again? It doesn't have to be batshit crazy or anything. It's just, uh, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, my next beer up that I haven't made for way too long is a triple. Yeah. Okay. See, that answers the question. That's, that's all the, the you know. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I thought I was trying to think of something like out there that I hadn't made, but yeah, I, I, just a very basic triple. We, we're lucky to have uh, how many pound how many how many pounds of lactose do you use in a five gallon batch of triple? About thirty. Okay. <laughs> For uh, anybody who's listening thick. who doesn't understand home brewing recipes, please don't do that. That's thick. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, uh, uh, we're fortunate to have various malting companies sending us samples frequently, and uh, a triple is a very simple recipe. At least mine is. It's pills, malt, and sugar is pretty much uh, all the fermentables. So it's a it's a great way for me to try out new malts and find out what they taste like, while at the same time making a beer that I really enjoy, and the rest of ingredients are are repeatable. So I really am able to get kind of a handle on what that malt is doing for it. Nice. Drew, what about you? Well, I'll go a little unusual since he went a little on point. Um, I, I keep thinking <laughs> Imagine about... Imagine that. I know, right? I keep thinking about uh, a Grazer or a Grzycki, and I've had them before, and the ones yeah. that, some of the ones I've had have been utterly fantastic. Uh, you know, like they pop into the glass with that super effervescence and they feel just so bright and lively, even with the smoke background. Like, yeah, and there's sm- no real smell like an ashtray. No, they do no, not smell like an no. ashtray. <laughs> Polish champagne, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really, I really would love to get my hands on around that as a style because I've had plenty of bad examples of it. Uh huh. But man, when you get a good one, it is a joy. I will say one of the, the, the more fun beers that I've had this year, uh, that I, that I, that I thoroughly enjoyed and kept going back for was a bourbon barrel aged Graditsky that Wall and Paul Pack Brewery in Pennsylvania did. And they're serving it at the Denver Rare Beer Festival, which is adjacent to GABF or happens at the same time as GABF. And, uh, that was, it's three and a half percent and it was just delightful. But the the barrel character, I think it spent all about all of like six and a half minutes in the barrel, so as to not overwhelm the the base yeah, beer. Right. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was fun. Yeah, I don't predict that as being a hip and hop beer style for the the year, but I just kind of want to tackle it because yeah, I mean when they when they're done right, they are oh, yeah. a, a lovely little thing. Oh well, yeah, see, no, they're they're great for. there's that video making the round right of um i i want to say it was at miller field uh in wisconsin of uh um somebody just dunking their hot dog in their beer and (laughs) it's like yeah Yeah, there you go there's your there's your (laughs) there's your smoky delights right there no thank you but drew (laughs) that that sounds like something out of barton house you know, your your desire to brew that beer kind of goes back to where we were talking about, uh, about the reason that you homebrew. I mean, number one, you can make stuff that you can't buy or find easily. But number two, you have the challenge and the pleasure of trying to perfect something and, and, and make it right when it often isn't. And again, that challenge is, to me, a, a major portion of what makes homebrewing great. Yeah, I guarantee you, I'm going to screw this up. Well, I know. I, I get, yeah. Well, who doesn't screw up something that they haven't made before the first time around? I like to think that I'm good enough and powerful enough and and skilled that I wouldn't do that. But and darn it, people like you. Exactly. Unfortunately, I'm human. <laughs> um, fellas, this is always a delight. Let's let's get it on the books for the third annual next year. But you got but it for man. now. I'm, I'm going to say thanks to for. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights. And uh, if if I don't see you uh, in Denver, I hope to see you beforehand. Well, uh, thank you for paying the bar tab. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course. That's well. While everybody else was focusing on home brewing when I was coming up, I was focusing on running up and then paying really decent bar tabs. So that's <laughs> that was my early beer skill that I have maintained, and I'm I'm very good at it now. Well, you know, it, it, it's a real pleasure to find a show that has low enough standards they'll let us be on it. What have you been homebrewing? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or share with me on Twitter or X or whatever at John underscore Hall. And don't forget that for the very best homebrewing content out there, check out BYO Magazine. You can learn more at BYO.com. You can also go visit allaboutbeer.com where you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. And All About Beer is also on social media at All About Beer. 
If you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. And speaking of that, here is a quick word from this episode's sponsor. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash drink beer one more time don't forget the all about beer podcast channel just search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice steal this beer has new episodes every monday and the byo nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month and as for this show Nate Weber does the music jeff quinn designed our logo and i'm john hall new episodes release every wednesday and that's when i'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer Thanks for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on X, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're wherever the cool kids hang out. You can find Drew on the Homebrewing subreddit and the Slack Homebrewing channel. I'll be hanging around the AHA discussion forum and Facebook, uh, among other places. If you'd like to ask us a question or suggest topics or recipes or even just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. And if you want to get a hold of us each individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And, of course, you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text at 626-765-1AL. That's 626-765-1253. So until next time, remember to brew experimentally. Or brew wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing. (laughs) 